In our first episode of Intersections, we explored the supernatural events in the book of Genesis. In this episode, we are exploring the many supernatural events that led up to the exodus of God's people from Egypt. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. In this series, we are exploring where and when the supernatural spirit world intersected with the world of the Bible and where a specific supernatural event occurred. Now, just to be clear, we're not going to look at all the times the Lord God spoke to the patriarchs or the prophets, nor are we considering the supernatural events that occurred in the spectacular visions that God allowed some of his Old and New Testament uh, leaders to experience. The visions in the Bible are a topic for a podcast series all by themselves. And maybe someday we'll do a series on the visions. In the book of Exodus, the Lord God himself showed up repeatedly to change the course of world events, especially to benefit his Old Testament chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, recall that God changed Jacob's name to Israel, with his descendants being known as the Israelites. The book of Exodus begins with Pharaoh's plan to slow Israel's birth rate. Pharaoh was becoming concerned that the Israelites were becoming too numerous and therefore a potential threat to the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh's Plan A involved increasing the workload for the Israelite men dramatically so that they would be too tired for sex when they went home. But that didn't work. Plan B involved telling midwives to kill any boy born to an Israelite woman. But since the midwives feared the Lord more than Pharaoh, that didn't happen either. Then in chapter 2, we hear about the birth of a boy, a special boy. The mother hid the boy for three months, but she became increasingly afraid that the boy would be discovered and subsequently killed. So she put him in a basket down by the Nile River, near to where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. Pharaoh's daughter spotted the boy and decided to give him a home in Pharaoh's palace. She named the boy Moses, a name that referred to him being drawn out of water. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace, but always knew that he was an Israelite. When he was 40 years old, he observed an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite man. Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, thinking that no one had seen him. But someone had. When word got out what Moses had done, he had to flee for his life. He left Egypt and went to live in Midian, a country east of the Sinai Peninsula. There he met a man by the name of Jethro, for whom he worked for the next 40 years. 
Because he agreed to stay and work, Jethro gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses as his wife. One day, when Moses was out in the desert tending the flocks, he noticed flames of fire within a bush. But the bush wasn't burning up. So Moses went to check it out. As Moses approached the burning bush, the Lord God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord went on to explain to Moses that he had seen the misery of his people in Egypt. He had heard the cries of the people because of their slave masters. And now he was going to rescue them. And the person to lead the rescue effort was going to be Moses. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses' response to the Lord's calling was one excuse after another. Moses said to God, who, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, did you catch that? Moses would one day return to the very mountain where he encountered the Lord God speaking to him out of the burning bush. The mountain was named Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. The supernatural bush-burning event would be followed by other supernatural events on Mount Sinai to be witnessed not just by Moses, but by the people of Israel. Moses still wasn't sure about his role in all of this. He said, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God told Moses, I am the I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And then the Lord God gave Moses additional instructions about meeting with elders of Israel and going to Pharaoh. The Lord indicated that he would have to perform some supernatural wonders to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And finally, the Lord said he would make the Egyptians willing to give the Israelites gold, silver, and clothing. So that the Israelites would not leave Egypt empty-handed, the Lord told Moses, Plunder the Egyptians. Moses continued with the excuses. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. 
So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses' next excuse was to say that he wasn't a good speaker. Then he pleaded, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. This caused the Lord God to be angry with Moses. But here we also see the Lord's patience. The Lord promised to give Moses the words he needed, and besides, he would have his brother Aaron do the speaking to the people. In fact, brother Aaron was on his way to meet Moses at that very moment. Finally, the Lord told Moses, Take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. The Lord God empowered Moses to perform the supernatural. When Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt, they met with the elders of Israel, and Aaron told them everything the Lord God had said. Then they spoke to the people, and Moses performed the miraculous signs that the Lord had shown to him. And the people believed. They bowed down and worshipped the Lord. Next was Moses and Aaron's visit to Pharaoh, where they asked to lead the Israelites on a three-day journey out into the desert, so that they could worship the Lord. Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. Pharaoh's repeated refusal to let God's people go would lead to a series of supernatural events in the land of Egypt known as plagues. The Lord God himself explains the reason for the plagues. I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. In Exodus chapter 7, we learn about the first of ten plagues. Now, now why ten plagues? As I explained in my podcast series, By the Numbers, the number ten is a number of completeness. These ten plagues would be God's complete judgment on Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. And each of the ten plagues would also send a message to the gods and goddesses that the Egyptians worshipped. The plagues would contrast the power of the Lord with the powerlessness of the Egyptian gods. The Lord God arranged the first nine plagues into three groups of three. The first two plagues in each group were announced by Moses ahead of time, prefaced with a request of Pharaoh to let my people go. But the third plague in each group was not announced. So plagues 3, 6, and 9 happened without any advance warning. Here's something else that's interesting. The first three plagues afflicted both Egypt and Israel. 
But beginning with the fourth plague, the remaining seven only afflicted the Egyptians. Now, before we get to the first plague, there was another supernatural event that the Lord God told Moses to perform. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Now, this happened as the Lord had said. When Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, it became a snake. Pharaoh, however, responded by summoning wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians who replicated by their secret arts the turning of their staffs into snakes. But the Lord seems to have a sense of humor because Aaron's staff swallowed up all of the magician's staffs. Take that, Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh refused to let God's people go out into the desert to worship the Lord, the Lord sent the first plague. He directed Moses to strike the Nile River with his staff and told Aaron to take his staff and stretch it out over all of the fresh water, streams, canals, and ponds. All of the fresh water turned to blood. The fish died, creating a horrible stench, and the water was undrinkable for people and animals. With this plague, the Lord God was sending a message to the Egyptian god, Hapi. Hapi was the Egyptian god of the Nile River and the source of life of all the people, animals, and plants around it. Take that, Hapi. Seven days later, the Lord told Moses to go to Pharaoh with the same message, Let my people go. Pharaoh refused. So the Lord sent a second plague. Frogs. Frogs came out of the Nile and out of the streams, canals, and ponds. Frogs everywhere, even in Pharaoh's palace, in his bedroom, and even hopping on his bed. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He told them that they could go out into the desert to worship if the frogs would leave. Moses prayed to the Lord to end the invasion of the frogs, and he did. They all died right there on the spot whether they were in houses, courtyards, streets, or fields. So the Egyptians piled up the dead frogs, and the stench of dead frogs was overwhelming. But Pharaoh lied. He would not let God's people go. Do you know that the Egyptians had a goddess they worshipped by the name of Hecate? Hecate was visually represented in the form of a frog. To the Egyptians, the frog was an ancient symbol of fertility. Take that, Hecate. The third plague, one which was not announced ahead of time, were gnats. The Lord instructed Moses to tell Aaron to stretch out his staff and strike the dust of the ground. The dust became gnats. In the first two plagues, Pharaoh's magicians, again using their secret arts, were able to turn water into blood and have frogs come out of the water. Now, we don't know how they did this, but when it came to the gnats, they were powerless. The conclusion they reached was that the plague of gnats was from the finger of God. With this plague, the Lord was undermining the Egyptians' god of the earth, who is known as Gabe. Take that, Gabe. Gabe. 
The fourth plague was an invasion of flies, dense swarms of flies. With this plague, Moses and Aaron did not use their staffs. And with this plague, only the Egyptians, not the Israelites, had to endure it. This plague struck at the heart of one of the major Egyptian gods, Capri. Capri was the Egyptian god of creation, who was depicted as having the head of, guess what? A fly. Take that, Capri. The fifth plague impacted the Egyptians' livestock. Cattle, horses, donkeys, camels, sheep, and goats. Many of Egypt's animals died, but not one died from among the Israelites. This plague was likely against the Egyptian goddess Hathor, who was pictured as having the head of a cow. Take that, Hathor. Plague number six were festering boils on people and the remnant of animals in the land. Moses went before Pharaoh with a handful of soot or ashes from a, a furnace. Moses tossed the ashes into the air in Pharaoh's presence. Immediately the boils broke out throughout the land. We are told that even Pharaoh's magicians were afflicted with these boils, so much so that they had to leave the palace. This plague was probably against the Egyptian goddess of medicine, Isis. Isis was considered to be the one who taught the Egyptians the skill of reading and agriculture and was worshipped as the goddess of medicine and wisdom. Take that, Isis. Again, Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh with the Lord's request to let my people go. Pharaoh again refused to allow it. So Moses announced the seventh plague, a storm of hail and rain and thunder and lightning, and gave Pharaoh 24-hour notice to get people and animals under shelter. Some heeded the warning, but uh, others didn't. The storm was the worst storm ever experienced in the nation of Egypt. It was so terrifying that Pharaoh admitted, this time I've sinned. Of course, once the hail stopped, Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let God's people go. We are told in Exodus chapter 9 that the flax and the barley in the fields were destroyed. The barley had already sprouted and the flax had already flowered. However, the wheat and spelt were not destroyed because they ripen later in the growing season. This plague was against the Egyptian goddess of the sky, Newt. She was originally the goddess of the nighttime sky, but eventually became referred to as simply the sky goddess. Take that, Newt. Plague number eight was a swarm of locusts that the Lord blew in from the east. The locusts were so numerous that they covered all the ground until it was black. The locusts destroyed all the vegetation that remained after the hailstorm. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and again acknowledged he had sinned and asked that the plague end. Pharaoh didn't mean it. So this time the Lord God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let God's people go. This plague was likely targeting the Egyptian god of storms and disorder, Saith. Saith was the god of the desert, storms, and foreigners in ancient Egyptian religion. Take that, Saith. 
The ninth plague was three days of darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that we are told could be felt. It was so dark that people could not leave their homes because they couldn't see anything. To the Egyptians, the sun represented light and warmth and the source of growth. Pharaoh told Moses and Aaron that they could go out into the desert to worship the Lord, but they had to leave their flocks and herds behind. Moses indicated that was unacceptable. Pharaoh became angry and threatened Moses and Aaron with death if they ever showed their face again. This plague was likely against one of the chief Egyptian gods, the sun god Re, identified primarily with the midday sun. Take that, Re. In that final meeting with Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron had forecasted the tenth plague. This is what Moses told Pharaoh. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her handmill, and all of the firstborn of the cattle as well. To spare the firstborn among the Israelites and to prepare the Israelites to leave Egypt, the Lord God instituted what became known as the Passover. It was named for the angel of death passing over the homes of the Israelites who had put blood of a sacrificial lamb on their doorframe. Now, I encourage you to read or listen to Exodus chapter 12 to learn more about the Passover. At midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in Egypt. This was a devastating event in Egypt because no family was spared, not even Pharaoh's. It led Pharaoh to let God's people finally go. It led the Egyptian people to encourage the Israelites to get out of town. And they did. Now, what Egyptian god did this plague target? It was Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh, as the king of Egypt, was considered to be the greatest Egyptian god of all. Although he was a human, the Pharaoh was believed to be descended from the gods. He acted as a mediator between his people and the gods of the Egyptians. Take that, Pharaoh. So here's an interesting question. When in history did the exodus of God's people from Egypt occur? Among historians, there isn't a unanimous agreement as to the date of the Exodus. The bottom line is, is that we can't be certain about the date. But let me share with you what I think and why. Let's start with some clues from the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 6, we learn that King Solomon began to build the temple in Jerusalem in the fourth year of his reign which was 480 years after the Israelites had come out of Egypt. Now, that's pretty precise information. Now, from archaeological discoveries from the Assyrian Empire, historians are pretty much agreed that Solomon began his reign over Israel in 970 B.C. Add four years to that, and then add 480 years to that, and we find ourselves at 1446 B.C. 
as the date of Israel's exodus from Egypt. So how does that line up with Egyptian history? Here's another clue from the Bible. In Exodus 1, verse 8, we read, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. The fact that the Israelites were in Egypt went all the way back to Joseph, son of Jacob, who saved Egypt from the seven-year famine by storing up food supplies during the previous seven years of plentiful harvest. Joseph, who was number two person in all of Egypt, invited his father, brothers, and entire household to come and live in Egypt in the northern land of Goshen. The new king represented a new dynasty that didn't know the history of Joseph and the Israelites. The ruling power during Joseph's life was the Hyksos, who ruled Egypt during the 16th century BC. The new dynasty that overthrew the Hyksos is known as the New Kingdom. The pharaoh that was in power during the time when the Israelites were oppressed, treated as slaves, was Thutmose III. He ruled from about 1500 BC to 1450 BC, and he was succeeded by Amenhotep II, who ruled from 1450 to 1425 BC. Recall the date of the Exodus? 1446 B.C., just after the start of Amenhotep II's reign. Again, we don't know for certain the exact year of the Exodus, but this scenario is quite probable. Intersections. It's where the supernatural spirit world interacts with the world of the Bible, resulting in a supernatural event. In our next episode, we will continue our journey through the Old Testament. Now, if you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.